0: out with the animals, right? And so we come and we celebrate every year this coming of Jesus, the the one who is to come. And so we love the idea of, of Christmas. We love the idea of Advent. And we come and we celebrate it in the context of Jesus has come. Jesus has come to earth. And the piece that I think we always miss is that Advent, at least in the history of the church, was less about Jesus coming at at Christmas, and more about Jesus coming again. Like, historically speaking, it's not just celebrating an event from the past, but it's celebrating that Jesus has come, and we look forward to Jesus coming again. So I think the great danger always is at Christmas is we look back only at an event in history. Although we need to celebrate that, don't we? Like <laughs> guess the, the greatest gift that's ever been, ever been given, and it literally changed the trajectory of the world as we know it and, it. and it literally altered history in one moment of Jesus coming. But in that, we forget that Jesus has come and that he will come again. And so the, then this idea of, of, of Advent is always supposed to be about looking at what Jesus has done. But focusing on that he is coming again and that we are a people who are living prepared, that we are living aware of that. And so this Advent season, our, the theme of, of our Advent is this, the thrill of hope. We all know the, the great song, the O Holy Night, the thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, right? This nature of the thrill of hope that Jesus has come and we celebrate that. But that we live in the hope that Jesus is returning, that we live in the thrill of hope that not only is he coming, but he's already present, that Jesus has come, that he is present, that he lives with us, and that he is coming again. And so that when we then come to Advent and we think about Jesus, then we. Live with the reality that is not just a story that we tell from the past, but it's a story that is living and that's breathing and that it's active today. See, it's really important. Last week we talked about this fact that that Jesus has, has saved us, He has empowered us, and that then there's a responsibility of, of us now working our hardest to do our best in response right we've been saved by grace through faith not by works but that once we are saved we've given our lives to jesus then the expectation is that we honor him with giving the best of ourselves in our relationship to him. We're giving the best of ourselves, an investment into relationship with him. That we are then living our lives every day with our eyes set on Jesus, the prize. We're running that race as if to, to gain the prize to so the best of our ability, right? Running our hardest and and just being and and faithfully being obedient to Jesus. And as we then live that way it's imperative that we know that he has come and that he is coming again that he was faithful he continues to be faithful and that he will always be faithful and so we live there with this thrill of hope not that he came but that he is present and that he's coming again and so what we want to talk about for the next four weeks in this idea of Advent is that we have a, the thrill of hope that, that Jesus has come, he is present, and he's coming again. There's this thrill of hope that Jesus is present. There's this thrill of hope that he is moving. There's this thrill of hope that he will come again. And that it defines then our existence. And so the question we have to begin with today is, How alive does Jesus actually feel in our life? Like, how alive does Jesus actually seem to be in your life? Not just like living and he's over here in, you know, Wichita, Kansas, doing his life, and you celebrate and you call him once a week and visit him at holidays, right? No, but he is like, literally, he's present. How alive is Jesus? How presently aware or? Are we of his movement? How invested and engaged are we in the life that he's actually still living? You see, it's not enough. The idea of salvation is not enough that we just got saved. But it's that we are being saved every day. Scripture is working out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's an everyday need and and need of his presence and movement in our lives. How aware are we of the life of Jesus, the thrill of hope? If your Bible is turned to Matthew chapter 1, a real familiar story. It's the story of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, and Matthew's perspective, and Matthew's telling. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Have your Bibles please turn there. If not, you can just look on the screen and follow along with me. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. See, one of the things I think that gets lost in our Christmas story is realizing that Jesus came to a specific people at a specific time in history, who had a specific need and a specific longing like do you think think about your life real quick and think about the things that you need from Jesus right to think about how you woke up today and there was something inside of your heart that like as you thought about Jesus for the first time there was a longing that 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 named something you wanted from him you know what i mean not like want to like give me a new car but something like you wanted peace you wanted kindness you wanted Purpose in life, whatever it was, right? That you awake and think about something that you have a, a need of Jesus from, like in your specific time, at your specific place in life, that there's this longing and, and need that defines your relationship with Jesus. There's so something that you would long for and do. Maybe it's just like simply to awake you up to the reality of His presence. You just need His help to conquer sin in your life. There's a need and a, and a longing that defines your existence, and and so for here in the people of Israel, there was there was the same need, there was same needs, similar needs and, and similar longings, right, that that defined their existence. You have to recognize that for literally hundreds and hundreds of years, the Israel had lived under the ultimate rule of a foreign government. From, from this very, very oppressive Babylon to a less oppressive Persia to even a less oppressive Rome, but, but still living under the foreign rule, right? Never literally having their their own freedom, right? They were not masters of their own faith, but they were a voiceless people uh, among a people who had the power to conquer. So in the midst of this proud people... Living under foreign rule, a, a serious level of oppression, like, a, like how many of you what was the, the red dawn, who was saw, saw Red dawn? I mean, like, the, remember you saw the classic and then the remake? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Right? You saw the, you saw the real thing and then the Nazi. Yes, thank you. And then the real thing, right? Like, no, you had like, you had like Patrick, the Patrick Swayze Red Dawn, right, over here, and then Thor Red Dawn. I don't even know what his name is, right? Chris Helms, maybe. I can't remember his name. But you had like these two Red Dawns. And, and in Red Dawn, you have America, and you have like, you have like small town America where guys are still wearing their, like, letter jackets and driving souped up trucks, and they all have guns. Right. It's like one of those towns in America. And, and in Red Dawn, what happens is, is like in the first one, it's the evil commies, the communists, the Russians. Right. They come in and overtake the small town and overtake, overtake America. Right. And I forget it's in North Korea or somebody over here in the other one. I can't remember how, that. The, the new movie just kind of all fades away in my mind. Right. But you got like this, like the, the bad guys come in and, and all of a sudden they come in and now the city's still running, but they've changed the flag. Could you imagine today if all of a sudden our flag changed and we were under a foreign rule? How happy would you be? I mean, we got a bunch of guns around here, too, right? Thank you. We would not be happy. You can talk. Oh, yeah. Hey, would you be? Is that Gideon? I can't see if he's laying. Would you be happy about that? Exactly. Me neither, brother. And so you have this whole thing going down, right? And so that's what's happened in Israel. They're under a foreign flag. For hundreds of years, they are an oppressed, a voiceless people. So, And in this moment, right, in the midst of this proud people, the aspirations of every Jewish national was the same. The restoration of Israel, the restoration of this, of the, of this, of this, this people group, this, this nation, under, under the rule of their own people, the rule of, of their God... All of these aspirations are stirring in their minds to recognize Jesus comes at a specific time in history with a specific people, with a specific need, being the cry of their heart. And the cry is, is, is the same for every single one of them. Restore us, O God. Take us from underneath the flag of this evil, oppressive people and put us under the flag of Israel, of God, of Yahweh. God with us, right? God. So there's these aspirations that are leading them. They wanted to become an independent nation again under the reign of the rule of God. And all of them were aspiring to this. This was a unified cry. And they all had this cry because of one purpose, because they, this is important, this this, this defines Christmas for us, because they understood the promise of God. They understood the promise. They understood that somewhere in history, God had promised them that they would be a nation, that they would be a people, and that he would rule over them. The primary foundation of, listen, this is important, the primary foundation of every prophetic word in the Old Testament has its foundation as Genesis chapter 12. The great covenant made with Abraham, the father of all the nation of Israel. God speaks and says this, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will become or be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. If you go back and read Jeremiah, if you go back and read Hosea, you go back and read Isaiah, you go back and, and read Ezekiel, you read through all of these proclamations that these prophets, these, prophet, these men of God make about God's movement and God restoring and God sending a Savior and God making his, making the people great and raising them up out of the nations and making them a light unto the nations. You go and read any of these prophetic statements They all come back to the source of Genesis chapter 12. Because in this moment, God makes a promise. Guys, listen, I tell you, no matter what's going on with you, no matter where you are, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever dishonors you and puts up another flag in your camp and brings the Communist Party into your country in Red Dawn, right? I will move. That's what he's saying. You see, I was linking the Israel there with Red Dawn. I think mean, Israel I just saw that, okay? He didn't really say the Communists. He loves the Communists, okay? doesn't necessarily agree with their whole political ideology, but he loves them. And so in the moment, right, the overarching promises of God all revolved around a people being a great nation and him fighting for them and tearing down any of those who dishonor them, Babylon, Persia, and Rome, right, who don't exalt, they rise idols up in their midst. This is important because we can't fully understand the Christmas story until you get this a grasp of history. Jesus stepped into time. To a specific people at a specific moment with a specific need. They were living under an oppressive regime, and he had promised to set them free. And so they lived, they hoped in the promise. They hoped in the promise. And so in this Advent season, real people. With real desires, they were in a desperate state, more ready, more than ready for the promise of God's salvation to be fulfilled. How many of you ever saw the movie Unbroken? Came out recently. It's a true story of uh, Louis Lewis or Louis Zamperini, right? He was an Olympic uh, Olympic uh, runner. Uh, who fought in World War II, and in the midst of World War II, his plane went down in the Pacific Ocean, right? And for 47 days, 47 days, he floated in a raft with a couple of his buddies, right? Just overwhelming, just overwhelming. And finally, then they had like a good news, bad news, which, which you see in the movie. And the good news is a ship came along. The bad news, it was a Japanese ship. So then they are taken and put into the ship, and they are thrown into Prison a prison camp become POWs, and if you watch the movie, it's one of those like you can it's like you can watch the movie once because it's like it's so overwhelming and it's so gut wrenching to see the experience of, of being a POW and, and being abused right and it's just I mean you can imagine if you haven't seen the movie I mean I would encourage you to watch it but but the great thing about him is that he actually was a traveling evangelist after World War II. Like, they didn't tell this in, in the story, but it's like, I mean, it was amazing just that he's a man of God, a man of great faith. His story is a story of Jesus, if you sat down and read his, his telling of it, right? He literally would go around and tell stories of Jesus and the stories and the power of forgiveness. I mean, he was, literally wasn't evangelist. That's what he did for a living. And he's just a man of faith, and so it's the story of a great man of faith who, against all odds, right, is it experiencing the power of God but for, 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 I don't know how many years, he's in, is in prison camp. And, I, and as I'm watching the movie and I'm sitting here thinking about this people group and they're, again, being oppressed, I begin to think about what would it have been like, again, just putting yourself into someone else's story, being a prisoner of war and every day hoping, hoping that you would be saved like can you imagine all the emotions that go with that all the emotions of, of just uh, recognizing you're under literally an oppressive people who are oppressing you every day, but knowing that there's family at home and there's a homeland and a, and a place of freedom and a, and a place that you can go and, and, again, just be under your own flag and with your own people and joy and hope can define. And, and so you go to sleep every night hoping tomorrow is the day and and. Every Every day, when you begin to hear these rumors, rumors of stories of the American front getting closer and getting closer and getting closer and getting closer, closer, right? It's like you live in the hope and the possibility of freedom once again, even though you're completely oppressed in the moment. The longing that you have, the longing for restoration. The longing to to, to once again to, to see home. You can't understand Advent. You can't understand Christmas until you begin to feel the longing of a people who desired freedom and did not have it. You can't understand what it was like for Jesus as a baby to come. Woo-hoo, joy to the world, right? You can't explain it and understand it until you allow the truth of the people who were living at the time to begin to become part of of your reality and recognizing that Jesus stepped into a scene within history of a people who were hoping and believing in the promise of God for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Believing we don't have to live under the leadership of idolaters. There has to be a breakthrough. You see, for Israel, their restoration and their salvation, it wasn't, it was their hope. And you have to recognize it wasn't a blind wish in the night. It was a true and complete confidence that God in time would move on their behalf. You have to recognize this understanding of hope. In our modern age, listen, hope is more defined as a desired outcome with serious shades of uncertainty surrounding it. Isn't it? I mean, if you're a Georgia fan, you understand that. For 37 years, we've hoped for the reincarnation. We didn't believe it, but we hoped for it. Herschel Walker. To come, oh, I think this is going to be our year. Every year we get into it, right? Georgia Bulldogs, for 37 years, oh, this is going to be, whatever it is, actually 35 years, excuse me, 35 years, this is going to be our year. We're going to win the national championship this year. Everybody says it. Tech fans, I don't know, y'all never say that, right? But it's like, no, but seriously, given this year, I thought talking was somebody this year, and the Georgia Tech fans like, oh, I think this is our year. And I'm like, oh, that's a blind aspiration, right? No, it's like, seriously, we live in this place of this hope, this hope, right? A desired outcome that has serious, serious shades of uncertainty surrounding it. Isn't that how you usually use the word hope? Oh, I'm hoping this is the year, hoping for breakthrough, right? But it's serious shades of doubt surrounding it. But in scripture, the hope that defined Israel was different. Hope in Scripture is this, that defined Israel. It's more akin to faith as on the screen. Hope in Scripture, the confident trust in attaining the future, a patience while waiting, and confidence in the divine movement of God on our behalf. This, when Scripture talks about hope, a confident trust, and attaining the future a patience while waiting and confidence in the divine movement of God on our behalf. The people of God kept, listen, the people of God kept from true freedom and captivity of sorts under foreign rule, hope in God that he would save them and restore them. They lived in hope for hundreds of years. The prophets continuing to speak. God's going to redeem. God's going to restore. God's going to save. God's going to redeem. God's going to save. God's going to restore. Keep your eyes on God. Keep your eyes on his movement. He is a God who is good. He will save. He will redeem. He will restore. And so again, after again, and again, they never lost sight. Some of them did. Some of them did. Along the way, you just go and read the history. There's a a book. Everybody should read this book by Christopher Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, wrote a book called Jesus in the Old Testament. Jesus in the Old Testament, right? Wrote a book, an incredible book. And he talks about these pieces, and he talks about just this nature. He said, and some people literally lost sight. They lost sight of the prize. They lost hope. But many did not. And they kept on fighting and waiting for the restoration of Israel, the restoring of God's people. They kept on looking and believing that God would move. They they continued to hope. They trusted in attending their future, right? They had a patience while waiting, and they had confidence in the divine movement of God on their behalf, behalf, right? Their aspirations define their existence. Their aspirations define their existence. Their hope and God's intervention in their lives. They lived with hope and God defining their every moment of every day. They were patient. God is good. He will fight for us. It is what he does. It is what he does. Why? Because the promise tells us. What was the foundation of their hope? Listen, if you haven't caught on real quick, I'm not just telling you a history story. I'm telling you your story. I'm telling you your story. I'm telling you your own Advent story. I'm telling you your Christmas story. What defined the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, is to continually define you. A hope that defines a hope in God and the movement of God. A confidence, a patience in the waiting. Why? Because we all are waiting for an advent, a coming of one, into our own broken places, our own moments, our places of desperation. We all live with our own aspirations and longings for God, don't we? We all live with the thrill of hope. The thrill of hope, you only, listen, hope means your answer hasn't come. Do you see that? You're only in hoping in something that is to come. The thrill of hope is that God has come, but he's still coming. And in our daily lives, there are things he wants to break into and bring salvation and restoration and redemption in. Do you see how our Christmas story of Advent becomes that our story of everyday life? In this, what was the foundation of their hope? It was simple. It was the promise. The promise. You see, you got to remember, in Genesis 12 and in other places in the Old Testament, a promise is made between two people who are in relationship with one another. See, a promise is only made in the context of relationship between two people. God, Creator, having called out, he he pulled Israel out of many nations and said, "Because I, because just because, I choose you." Like you all know that Israel was not special. You all know there was nothing special about Israel that caused them to be chosen by God. I mean, in some sense, God could have done any, mini, miny, mo, and just made them the chosen people, right? Wasn't because they were unique. Wasn't because they were special. If God is truly like, I mean, if God and His godness, you know how God always chooses the least and the less than the most incapable. That's probably what. That's probably why He chose them because they're the least likely candidate to be His chosen people. They didn't do anything special. He just chose them. Any okay. It wasn't really any okay. many, many. because He doesn't do that. He always has a plan and a purpose. But you could have been that, right? And so he chose them, and he made the promise with them. Hey, I promise to make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will dis... Listen, anyone who dishonors you, I will curse them. And through you and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. They look at the promises. God promised us this in the context of relationship. Their hope, their hope, right, that confidence was grounded in the promise made to them by the one who loves them and is always faithful. That's really important. They are chosen and they are loved. And he cannot not be faithful. And there you have a recipe for hope. He chose me. He chose us. He loves me. He loves me. And he is faithful. Which means he has to follow through on everything that he promises. You see, some people have lost sight of hope, hadn't they? Because they had lost sight of the promise. Because they had lost sight of how truly God, God is. They had lost sight. He is faithful. He is kind. He is loving. See, hope is only misguided, a dim shadow, when it is dependent on someone other than God, namely self, being responsible to accomplish what we are hoping for. That when our hope is grounded in God's promises, we can always hope in confidence. The two words that we see describing Jesus in Matthew 1, 21 and 23. Sheds a powerful light on this promise for us. Number one is his name. His name is Joshua, right? It it either means Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh saves. And the understanding is clear. Jesus is being identified, right? Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph. Jesus is being identified as the one who will fulfill the Old Testament promises, the one who will bring salvation. He is the answer, right? He is the one whom their hope is in now. Whether they know it or not, we know it. He is the one, right? His title. They said in verse 23, you will name him Emmanuel. He didn't really call him. He didn't walk around and say, hey, Emmanuel, what's up, man? No, his name is Jesus, but he is Emmanuel, right? We all know because we sing it that Emmanuel means God with us. And the powerful statement when looking at this is that God is not saying God is near to us, but that God himself present in Jesus, is with us to set us free. That's the beautiful picture. He is Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, the one who saves, right? He is the one who saves, and he is God with us. He is not far from us, but he is among us. He is with us. The aspirations of entire people can cause them with hope to look for a Savior and to find their existence where they trusted in the promise that was given to them by God. And Jesus, in Advent, Him coming was the answer. He was the fulfillment of their hope based on the promise that the one who loved them and is faithful that He made. And so, as we sit here today, we live in hope of advent. We live in hope that He will come again. Because I don't know about you, but I look at the brokenness of our world, and I don't want Christmas from yesterday. I want a new Christmas. I want a new coming. I want a new Advent. I want the one to come who has made promises to me as His child that He will defend, that He will fight, He will give a full life, that He will will never leave nor forsake, and he will be with me until eternity, and he will come back and save me and take me home. You see, when we celebrate, yes, we celebrate Christmas, we don't, listen, we really should stop focusing on that he came. And we need to start focusing that he's coming again. Because if we focus on him coming again, then we will live our life prepared for his coming with our eyes focused on him. He is Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus. And He has made us a promise I will come again. I will set things right. But the beautiful thing is because His kingdom has already come, but is still yet to come fully, He comes today. In every area of brokenness and every area of need. Listen, we've been we say we, we pray for healing for people. Why? Because we hope in his coming. Because of his promise, by my stripes, you are healed. We believe for life in the areas of darkness, depression, and despair, and worry and fear and doubt that define us. Why? Because He's come that we might have life, the promise, and have it to the full. You see this movement of Advent, the movement. Listen, it's the thrill of hope that every day I hope in his coming, in every moment, knowing he will come again fully to return everything back to his proper order. But He's moving now. And so I I celebrate his coming and I celebrate that he's coming again. I celebrate that he's moving because he's moving for eternity to come and get us, bring us home, right? The application for us is simple. We must live with hope, biblical hope grounding us in the promise of Jesus that he has saved, he is saving, and he will continue to save every day of our lives. Are you living in hope of advent, of one who is to come? Are you living every day with your eyes focused on the promise of Jesus? That he is who he says he is in the midst of being part of a strange land with a flag being risen up that does not belong to Jesus and our fallenness and our fallen world. Are you hoping and living in confidence that he is who he says he is and that he will move? And so you live every day in hope of his returning, believing him and crying out for his movement. This is Advent. This is the story and the history of Christmas, and it's why Christmas is so important to us today. He came, he is coming, and he will come again. He saved, he is living, and he will for eternity save. I hoped, I am hoping, and I will Always, power of sin in our lives to the hope that Jesus has come. He is coming. He will come again. See him for eternity. This morning, I want to put up on the screen, we have, I have a website for you. I want you to look at. Let's take a picture of this. It's a picture. It's, just, it's simply this. I just simply Googled blessings found in the Bible. Scripture says I read articles, there were 5,700 promises in Scripture. Things that God has said are true. He says, I will the promise that I will never leave you nor forsake you. So when I pray, I don't I pray that I thank you that I'm not alone. Right? That He's with us. I don't have to worry about being alone. He's with us. When He says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full, it's a promise. So I'm living a half-hearted, disconnected life. I say, God, that's not what you promised. I feel overwhelmed, as if someone's trying to kill. You see, the promises because you promised it. Advent, Jesus coming to bring salvation. Every with month. me. Okay. It changes. You got that? It changes how I think. It changes how I view His movements. We need Jesus. We need him to move. We need him to speak into our lives, right? We need his breakthrough. We need him to, to speak life. And so this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to take some time in us and God. He's in relationship with us. He is faithful in what we're hoping for. What do we what's the need to move and do what's the essence? It changes the way we think, the way that we pray. And so then I live celebrating that he came, and I celebrate the advent that he 's coming again because he 's savior it 's what he does, and so, Father, I come in confidence that you move them away. Where am I in need of advent this this movement of the one who would come? Where is that place? And then we stand. There's a beautiful scene in the movie Unbroken, where where where, where Louis is literally like he's being beaten, and and this, he's been being told, "Lift up this log, and if you drop it, then we will kill you." And in the scene, it's this beautiful movement of God in his life the power and the grace of God moving this prisoner of this war camp because he takes it, he's on his bum leg, and he's been brutalized. He hasn't eaten a great meal in forever. And he just takes it, and he puts it on his shoulder, and he just he lifts it above his head. And I'm watching the movie. God, that's your movement. That's what you do for your children. In the midst of an oppressive regime, God, you empower and you move. God, you're so good. Because, God, I mean, I'm like, God, I'm so desperate for your movement. I'm so in need of your spirit. I need you to strengthen because I want to crumble and die. I want to. God, I, in so many areas, got these places in my life. God, I need you. God, you're so good. I need you to come. And the question for us is where does he need to to move? Where do you need him? Where does the promise need to be taken hold of in your life with hope being birthed? Oh, God. God, let's just pray. God, you are, you are the thrill of our hope. Because we know that you are good. We know that you move. We know that you are powerful. And I pray this morning, no matter where we are, God, whether we're praying for our loved one, whether we're praying for an issue in our own life, whether we're struggling and wrestling, God, I pray this morning, Jesus, that you would fill us and flood us with confidence, Lord, in in the promise of your movement in our lives. We're asking, Jesus, that you would awaken us. Holy Spirit, awaken us to the truth of your salvation, the truth of your movement. The hope that we have in you. Jesus. This is really simple. I just pray this you to open our eyes to see you. The author and perfecter of our faith. We bless you, Jesus. This morning I invite you to...